Amen. Uh, well, you can have a seat. Uh, and good morning. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith, and I am our teaching uh, pastor for our college ministry here at Anderson. And, and man, it, it is, as Rob said this morning, man, we are genuinely just excited to be here, excited to see you, to, to, to worship with you, to learn uh, from Scripture alongside of you. Our college ministry has you know, uprooted itself, moved over into this room, and, and we're all going through Philippians together. And we, we love this kind of experience uh, because it allows us to just simply broaden our perspective uh, on, on who God is and what he's done. And one of the things that we see this morning in, in the book of Philippians, as we continue in this series of, uh, of being poured out, of living lives that are, that are poured out for the sake of others, living lives that are modeled after Christ, who, who came not to be served, but to serve, who came to empty himself for our sake, on our behalf. As we look at this book, what we'll see this morning in Philippians chapter 3 is essentially one more way, one more opportunity we have in the the Christian walk, in the Christian life, to live lives that are poured out for the sake of other people. What we'll see this morning at the beginning of chapter 3 of Philippians is Paul laying out this beautiful truth that we can cling to, which is that all people everywhere are desperately dependent upon the grace and mercy and love and forgiveness of our God. All people everywhere are dependent upon the the free gift of grace, of mercy that he offers by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. And, you know, when I say that, it it sounds simple enough, but the reality is that a lot of times we find ourselves forgetting this this truth, this crucial distinction that we are all people who are desperately dependent upon the work of Christ. Uh, Because a lot of times what happens is we play the comparison game. A lot of times what happens is we look out at the world around us and we see other people who we assume because they're missing certain pieces or they haven't met certain requirements, they don't have certain adjectives attached to their name. We assume that they are actually in greater need than we are. And so what happens is we elevate ourselves into a false position of misplaced confidence in who we are and what we've done. When the reality is that we are all fully, wholly dependent on Jesus Christ. You know, when we look at other people, it's easy to see dependencies that others have. I find this is very, very clear and easy for me when I look at my small children. Uh, When you look at a small child, really any small child, you will say, yes, you are in desperate need of help, right? Like you are, you live based on the mercies of other people. That's why even our government, the IRS looks at my children. They say, yes, they are not children. They are dependents. And I say, ah, True, right? And that is what it is. You can look at my son Lawrence, he's almost two, and you would say that kid needs help, right? Like he is dependent on the work of other people. He's dependent on the helmet that his sister picked out for herself uh, at Walmart years ago. Uh, He is dependent on us to give him food, right? He can't cook a meal. He can't change a tire. Like, what kind of man is he at this point right, in life? He doesn't have certain core abilities that are necessary to live a life that is prosperous uh, and really a life that is sustainable. And my daughter, Charlotte, is almost four. She's a little further ahead than him, but, you know, she still has a lot of needs. Uh, she needs sleeves, right? Like this, it's, it's cold outside, Charlotte. Please dress appropriately. And she cannot, though, make these crucial decisions for herself. She, she still struggles in so many ways with so many different physical needs. She can't, uh, you know, she can't get a job. That's like, you know, child labor laws 101. Like you can't give a four-year-old a job. And even if she could get one, she would not keep it. She is very irresponsible. Like she would not 
show up on time or wear the appropriate uniform because she would say, no, that uniform's not pink enough. And then she would leave and you would say, okay, well, good luck, right? Because she in and of herself cannot support herself. She can't live a life that's actually sustainable. She can't, she has boots that we've given her that she loves. She cannot take them off. She does not know how. That is crucial in this world. You have to know how to take off your shoes. That's just a part of growing up. And when I look at my children, I see this really clear desperate dependency they have upon my wife and myself to provide for them, not only physically, but also emotionally and socially. Like they don't know how to conduct themselves in a healthy social way. When when they feel slighted by the other person, they will just immediately go, they go from like one to 11 immediately. They just amp it up. They, They go for the nuclear option every single time. Like, they don't even close the briefcase with the nuclear code. They're just like, leave it open. Like, as soon as I feel like that my brother took the toy that I want to play with, bah! like, push the button, launch the nuke, and let's just make this happen. And they will begin to yell at each other and scream. And they're so upset. And they yell about these things, and they push. And my son doesn't really know how to talk with a lot of words. And so he's just, bah! and as they're yelling and screaming at each other, I see their brokenness. Right? It's very clear. It's very evident. And so I try to step in with, with, with guidance, right? with counsel, with the wisdom of the years that God has bestowed upon me. And yet, even in these moments where they're just screaming and lashing out and someone's pushing, but they missed and now they're falling over themselves. In those moments, I find myself screaming and yelling and saying, stop, stop yelling, right? You're not supposed to yell. Use kind words. What are you, what's wrong with you? You, you, you? Change your tone. And even in those moments of trying to calm, th- fighting fire with fire, I find myself in, with a, just kind of a brief little picture of clarity. Where I'm like, oh, I guess I yell sometimes. And that's probably not very helpful. I don't push them, all right? So I got that. But the reality is that I realize in many moments that as I'm trying to step into their brokenness, as I'm kind of like, oh, you silly little in, in, you know, immature people, that I still have my own struggles, that I still have my own brokenness, that I still have my own weak points, that I still am dependent upon the mercy and forgiveness and grace of other people. I'm still dependent upon the mercy of my God who who saw me in my sin, who saw me in my death, who saw me in the midst of my transgressions and yet still loved me. See, I still have to remember that the gospel is not just for y'all. It's for me. And when Paul's addressing the church in Philippi, in this third chapter of his letter, that's what he addresses. He's reminding these believers that we are all people who desperately depend upon the work of Christ for our salvation, for our forgiveness, for our relationship with the Lord, for our eternal destination. See, he opens up in chapter 3. By saying, finally, my brothers and sisters, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. To write this again is no trouble to me. It's a safeguard for you. He starts off just saying, hey, I want you all to recognize that now is a moment to rejoice. And now is a moment to worship. And he's saying this because he's about to address some trouble in their midst. But he knows that, hey, every time we face trouble, every time we face turmoil, what that does is it points us to truth. When our world is on fire, we have no choice but to run to the refuge that God provides. We have no choice but to suddenly see with clarity that in and of ourselves, we're not capable of healing all the hurts. We're not capable of mending all the brokenness. So he says, hey, I'm about to speak into some brokenness in your midst, and I want you to be rejoicing and worshiping the God who saved you. 
Because as you choose to praise, you will change your perspective. And you will see that God is on the move, that God's ultimately in control. This is the God who saved you, the God who saw you in, in your own self-delusion of, of casting the stone at the other people, saying, oh yeah, I can't believe they're making those decisions while still dealing with your own mistakes. While looking at another person saying, oh, I can't believe they, they, they would raise their kids like that, while your marriage is in shambles. Paul's looking at these people and he says, hey, there's trouble in your midst. There's brokenness in who you are and what you're doing. He says, but I want you to still praise, still rejoice. Because we have a God who loves us in the midst of that failure. But as you rejoice, you need to recognize that there are, there's trouble, right? He says you need to beware of the dogs. You need to beware of the evil workers. You need to beware of those who would mutilate the flesh. Because there are people in your midst who are essentially pointing you in the wrong direction. There are people in your midst who are preaching something that is false. That they're, that they're dressing up as truth, but is actually leading you in the opposite direction of what God intends. You see, there are these people in the church, as we look at this historical context, we recognize that there are people that we now refer to as the Judaizers. People who were in the midst of this church in Philippi, who were in other churches as well. Paul speaks very directly into it in the book of Galatians. But but right here in the book of Philippians, he says, hey, there are people in your midst who are teaching this wrong gospel that are essentially saying that you, yeah, can follow Jesus and that's good, but that's not enough. What they were doing is they were taking the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ, meaning they're taking this idea, this, this foundation of our faith, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And they were adding a little asterisk. And they're saying, yeah, you can follow Jesus and that's great. But also... There's this list of attributes and, and abilities. There's, these, there's this kind of required adjective list that we want you to, to, to apply to yourself. To reach full acceptance, you have to meet these self-determined requirements. You have to check these boxes that we've created in order to really find acceptance in the family of God. And Paul hears of this. He knows this is happening. He says, you've got to look out for them. And then he tears their argument to shreds. He says, we are the circumcision." The ones who worship by the Spirit of God, who exult in Christ Jesus, who do not rely on human credentials. He says their arguments are so flawed because they're looking to their own ability and their own uh, uh, determination, their own, their own opportunities to execute on these self-determined requirements. He says that's not who we are. He says you are known as the people of God by how you are filled and who you are focused upon. It says you are a member of the family of God because you're filled with the Spirit and you're following Jesus. It says that's what's required. That's the mark. That's what sets you apart. What distinguishes you is the family of God. He says it's not this list of do's and don'ts. It's not this checklist that someone put in front of you. It's how you're filled. It's who you're following. And if you have those pieces, then suddenly you are the spiritual circumcision. I mean, you, you are spiritually, you are marked as the family of God. And people can't take that away from you. He says it's foolish to look at human credentials. He says if you want to even do that, he says, I'll blow you out of the water. He says if anyone could possibly want to rely on their own ability, he says, I, I would. Right? He says my, my, my achievements are significant. 
If someone thinks he has good reasons to put confidence in human credentials, I have more. He goes into this list, this this seven-point resume. He uses the perfect number for the perfect resume, laying out why he would have reason in their eyes to trust in himself. To somehow tell himself that he has earned God's approval, that he has earned acceptance into the family of God. He, he lays out four attributes that he was handed that are part of his in, inheritance, part of his heritage. And then he lays out three attributes that he obtained for himself. It's his privilege and it's also his performance. It's things that he was handed and it's other things that he went out and he obtained, that he grabbed. He says, if anyone's going to boast, I could do it. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was from the people of Israel and I was from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. What he's getting at right here is he's saying, look, I've gone through all these incredible steps. He points out the significance of saying, I I was circumcised on the eighth day to say, I've been in this from the beginning. Right? I was born into this thing. I didn't come late to the party. I'm not that guy who's like, oh, they're in the playoffs now? Oh, yeah, I'm a huge fan. Like, that's not how it works. Some of us follow sports teams that way. And that's fine. Paul just wouldn't like you. Like, that's just how it works. He says, man, I was in this from the start. Look at my old jersey, my eighth day jersey to prove it. He says, not only that, I'm, I'm of these people of Israel, meaning that I've stayed committed to this through and through. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I, I have this really stellar lineage. The tribe of Benjamin who was favored because when all the other tribes turned their back on David back in the day, Benjamin stayed true to him. And so Paul's saying, not only have I kept track of my lineage, which was impressive in that day and age, says, but, but I'm from the, like the top-notch super tribe. Says, Man, I'm, I'm Jewish through and through. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Meaning literally, he's referring to the fact that he was raised in a, in a Jewish home that valued Hebrew culture and Hebrew language. So many Jews at this time were, were abandoning the, their native language, their native tongue, for the popular tongue. And he says, no, I, I, I love our, our heritage. I love where I'm from. I love the, the, the culture that God had created for us that he developed over centuries. He says, man, that, that's what I was handed. That's the heritage that I came into. And I didn't just squander it. Just then I lived according to the laws of Pharisee. And in my zeal for God, I persecuted the church. According to the righteousness stipulated in the law, I was blameless. He says, I took the ball and I ran with it. He says, they set me up and then I took it even further. He says, I, I became a Pharisee. I dedicated myself to understanding the law, to, to following God's commands, to telling others about God's commands. And, and I was so zealous. I was so committed that when I perceived enemies to Judaism, when I saw what I perceived as false teachers teaching a false way, I persecuted them. I wanted to bring them to justice. It's because I was so committed to that law, you could call me blameless. In other words, he's saying not that he was perfect, but that he was obedient. He says, man, I checked every stinking box. And yet he looks back on his life. He sees these attributes. He sees these accomplishments. He sees these adjectives that you could assign to him. Of, of Benjamite and, and, and zealot and, 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 and wise and, and, and educated and, 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 and blameless. He says, and I see all these things and... All these assets I've come to regard as liabilities. 
because of Christ. He's speaking to the accounting and finance majors of our room. I'm getting fired up for like assets, liabilities, debit, credit, bottom line. Come on, like let's go. Bust out that Excel, Paul, or that abacus, I guess. Like let's go, let's do it. And Paul is, he's, he's tweaking his analogy to say that, look, there are these things that I thought were a credit to my account, and yet now I see that they're actually harmful. Literally, the term that he's using, it's not a neutral term. He's not saying like, ah, oh, it's a loss. He says, these things are actually negatively hurting me. Literally in the Greek, he's saying these things are, are destructive. Why? Because suddenly I could find myself, I found myself caught up in this false confidence, trusting in my ability, in my, in my uh, accomplishments. And suddenly I, I lost sight of the fact, the truth that I'm actually desperately dependent upon the Lord. That was God's original purpose with the law. That the Jews of that time, that the Pharisees of that, Pharisees of that time had completely lost. He set up this law to illustrate for them so clearly. You need his grace and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness. You've got to trust that he's still good, even when you are neck deep in your own depravity. Paul says, I I checked those boxes. I reached that list. I fulfilled all those requirements and it was destructive. The hindrance. And yet we still find ourselves falling into this trap. We still, I, I find myself checking my own little boxes and assuming that that true acceptance hinges on people meeting these requirements, people, people having these right required adjectives. They need to have these attributes. They need to have these abilities. And I find myself withholding acceptance for others or even for myself based on this list that I've created. And when we look back at that, my hope is that we see it as just ridiculous. A donkey. Hee-haw. And he only had three legs. He was a wonky donkey. I was walking down the road and I saw a donkey. Hee-haw. He only had three legs and one eye. He was a winky-wonky donkey. (laughs) I was walking down the road and I saw a donkey. Hee-haw. He only had three legs, one eye, and he liked to listen to country music. He was a honky-tonky, winky-wonky donkey. (laughs) I was walking down the road and I saw a donkey. Hee-haw. He had only three legs, one eye. He liked to listen to country music. It was quite tall and slim. He was a lanky, honky, donkey, winky, wonky, donkey. I was walking down the road and I saw a donkey. Yo. Oh, dear, I don't. Three legs, one eye. He liked to listen to country music. It's quite dull and slim. And he smelled really, really bad. Oh dear. (laughs) 
He's a stinky dinky lucky honky tonky winky Maybe that's not our exact list of adjectives, right? Maybe we deviate a bit. But the reality is that we all find ourselves at times raising the bar for acceptance. We counteract Jesus' statement that he wants all people who are, who are, who are worn and weary, who are heavy laden, to come to him. And we say, you know what, it's not just, it's not just that you also need to maybe check off these boxes. You, you must be this tall. To, to, to ride Christian community, right? I, you, you have to meet this required list of adjectives to really find acceptance. Maybe not in God's, maybe in theory, like God can accept you, but, but I don't want you in my family. I don't want you in my inner circle because you're lacking these attributes or these abilities that I think are so important. And many times what we do is we, we pick and choose adjectives that we've already obtained. And we build ourselves this little platform that we get to climb up on and look down at other people and start to tell them what they need to do to improve. To really be accepted. We say, yeah, yeah, you, you must be in a home group. So join my home group. Wait, you're already in one. Well, well okay, well. You, you have to be a social conservative. You, you must volunteer at, at the church, or you must volunteer at, at Breakaway. You must give a certain amount of your income. You must put your kids in homeschool, or you must put your kids in public school. You, you must look like me. You, you must think like me. You must have the, meet all of my expectations that I honestly don't actually always meet for myself. But, but I'm going to hold you to a higher standard. I'm going to hold you to my aspirational self-view. And we do this all the time. Falling into this harmful trap of raising the bar, of making our list, of withholding acceptance until someone can meet that expectation that we have for their life. Which is tragic. Because when Jesus' followers went to him, and they asked him, like, hey, what adjective are you looking for, right? Like, they're like, you know, surely you're not just offering forgiveness. Surely there's an asterisk to that gospel that, that we can enforce. They say in Matthew 18, who's going to be the greatest Right? What's the shining example? What, what's the defining attribute? Like, what, what do I need to do? How do I need to perform? What, what do I need to uh, uh, add to my list of adjectives that, that will put me in that higher, greater slot? How can I be a success in your organization? And Jesus calls a kid over. And he has him stand among them. And he says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn around and you become like this little child... You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. They say, Jesus, tell us, what's the adjective? What's, what's the attribute? What's the ability? Jesus looks him square in the eye and he says, let me put in front of you the clearest example of dependency. Let me put in front of you this little kid who lives by the mercy of his parents or his guardians 
who's 100% dependent. All of their needs have to be met by outside forces. He says, that's the attitude. Public sexual sin. When he meets her at a well in Samaria, he doesn't call her to holiness before he calls her first and foremost to dependency. He doesn't lead off with marriage advice. He leads off telling her, you should come to me for living water. You've got to come to me to find life eternal. You've got to come to me to find satisfaction. And yeah, there's areas for growth. There's sin that needs to be eradicated. There's health that we can build in. There's habits that we can kick. But first and foremost, the, the term that needs to define you is that you need to be dependent on me. That's why Paul says that these accomplishments and these attributes that these lists that we create are so horrible. They hold us back from truly seeing our God for who he is. Not a God who who withholds his acceptance based on these criteria that some can accomplish and some can't. It's a God who's freely offering the gift of forgiveness by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He says, I count all of these things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things. He says, it's not that I please Christ the Lord. It's not that I serve Christ the Lord. He says, my ultimate aim and goal is to just know him. One scholar frames it so beautifully. Saying that like most religious people today, Paul had enough morality to keep him out of trouble, but not enough righteousness to get him into heaven. And it wasn't bad things that kept Paul away from Jesus. It was good things. But he had to lose his quote-unquote religion to find true salvation. We maybe find ourselves looking at others, asking the question of where they're from, or how old they are, or where they live, or how they speak, or who they're attracted to, or how they vote, or what they do for work, or what they do in their free time. And we hold our acceptance back until they meet our list of requirements. And Paul says, that is a false gospel. That's not the heart of our Lord. I look back at these requirements that I met, these achievements that I had, and I regard it as waste, as dung. Because now I see that my ultimate goal is to gain Christ, to be found in him. Not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness. A righteousness from God that is, in fact, based on faith. He says, it's not what I can achieve for myself. It's what Christ already achieved. If I'm living for my own victory, I'm always going to fail. I will only find defeat. Instead, I have to live from Christ's victory. I have to see that those attributes and those abilities, that those adjectives that I so desperately want, Christ already perfectly displayed them. I had all these titles before my name. I had all these adjectives you could have given me, but I lacked the one that I needed, which is perfect. I was not perfect. I did not reach perfection. But Christ did. And suddenly I have an opportunity to be a co-inheritor with him. That by simply trusting in who he is and what he's done, by simply recognizing my own desperate dependency on his accomplished work, 
Now I can inherit his righteousness. I can inherit his abilities, his strength, his grace, his peace. Suddenly I can be filled with the spirit who who produces this fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So suddenly I have an opportunity known in the family of God, accepted into the family of God because I'm filled with the spirit, because I'm following Jesus Christ. I have the opportunity to live that life that I always wanted to live. Because it's a gift. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And what I thought would be so beneficial for us this morning would be to hear this played out in the life. And so I actually asked a student from our ministry, a guy named Zach, who's going to come up. And we're excited that he's coming up. And we're going to show that excitement by slapping our hands together. And Zach is basically going to just share with us briefly um, about what he's seen God do. He's going to share about how God moved in his life. How he came to a point of recognizing his own desperate dependency upon the Lord's grace. Upon what God offers freely as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. So Zach, you have a mic. Hopefully it works this time. We had troubles last service. Can you all hear me? There it is. Okay. So if you would, just, just share with us a little bit about what God's been doing. Awesome. Uh, before I share my testimony, I just want to preface it with a couple things. Um, I talk a little bit about my mom and I's relationship, uh, very matter-of-factly at an early age in my life. And uh, I did not do that to vilify her in any way. In fact, I, I called her last night and talked through this with her. And we had a wonderful uh, conversation and connected over it. And it was really good. Uh, the second thing is just... I know this isn't the worst story you'll ever hear. Uh, hear. Uh, it's not the best either, but um, we all have stories of brokenness. And this is my story about my journey from brokenness to wholeness uh, through the love of God. So thanks for being here. Thanks for letting me take up time in this service. Uh, howdy. My name is Zachary Norman. I'm a senior at Texas A&M, graduating this May with a degree in industrial distribution. I turned 22 this year, and it wasn't until almost two months ago that I acknowledged the need for God in my life. I now have a relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and I don't believe that I got here on my own. Uh, This is my story, and I'm glad to be sharing with you all today. God has been in my life from a very early age, but due to a multitude of influences at an impressionable age and specific circumstances, it was difficult for me to build a relationship with Him. At four years old, my parents divorced, and while the divorce was fair, it was also ugly at times. Uh, I spent an equal amount of time at both households and received a lot of attention during a very sensitive transition, but it wasn't always good attention. Uh, Things were taken out on me that ought to have been fought amongst adults. Uh, I was passed back and forth with information that I had no business knowing as as a young kid. Uh, sometimes I was even given you know, sound bites in hopes that I would take them into the other household and loose lips would stir up some drama. Uh, this was the first time in my life where I felt brokenness, isolation, and pain. My home and my family had split, and I was now a permanent visitor at my mom's house and my dad's house. The hardest part was that as a four- to five-year-old child, I was old enough to understand what was going on, but not developed enough to truly comprehend it, so I was very confused and hurt. 
Over the next few years, my parents both remarried, and when I was seven, the first of what would be six siblings came along. Uh, Some time had passed since the divorce, and I think my parents felt like they didn't need to tend to me as closely, plus the fact that they did need to tend so closely now to the three younger children in each house. I felt more isolated than ever. Uh, My attention from my parents was heavily divided and sometimes felt non-existent. And I was now wading back and forth between what felt to me like two new nuclear families. And I was a permanent add-on. It's important to mention that both households provided polar opposite environments and influences. My father and stepmother's home was very calm, nurturing, and family-oriented. My mother and stepfather's home was not. Uh, My mother and stepfather were both alcoholics. And my mom was also diagnosed bipolar chronically depressive, and a drug addict. The highs and lows that she would experience uh, naturally in her mood swings, they they were amplified tenfold. Um, And she was a very volatile woman who I grew to fear um, and hate from a young age. Uh, I moved out of her home and into my father's house at 12 years old. But at that point, I had suffered a significant amount of emotional trauma, and I felt perpetually broken, sad, and angry. My dad tried his best to fix me, so to say. Um, He was very loving, supportive, and he told me time and time again that it wasn't his home. It was our home. It was my home. Um, But he just couldn't take that away. I mean, the the damage had already been done to no fault of his own. Uh, Between 12 and 13, I started to drink alcohol and smoke pot. Early in high school, between 14 and 16, I was using uh, heavy psychedelics with regularity. Um, This escalated further into college, and I began using stimulants regularly, uh, mainly cocaine and occasionally crack cocaine. I don't want to highlight those mistakes, but I do want to highlight the slow-building cycle of self-destruction and isolation that grew in direct correlation with the pain I was experiencing and the distance I was placing between myself and God. I want to backtrack for just a second um, and highlight that while I was suffering, my mom was actually healing. Uh, As a kid, my only parent who believed in or talked about God was my mom. And as I distanced myself from her, I also distanced myself from God. Shortly after I moved in with my dad, my mom got sober and has been since. Uh, She began to profess the good works, the love, the grace, and fulfillment that God put in her life. And I went from distancing myself from God to resenting Him and ultimately considering myself a devout atheist. I was unwilling and unable to free my mother from the guilt and shame I thought she deserved for adding so much pain to my life. And while she asked forgiveness time and time again, I did not forgive What I find way down the line is that attempting to hold my mother accountable for the guilt, shame, and pain that I thought she deserved wasn't possible because she had been freed from those things through God. And I was the only one holding on to those emotions and letting them pile up in my life. Uh, I was the only one hurt, and at a certain point, I was the only one continuing to suffer. So back to college. When I started school in Corpus Christi, I fell into a very toxic relationship, which left me feeling even more sad, broken, and confused than I had been thus far. And when it ended, I moved to College Station shortly after. I had a clean slate to change and be whoever I wanted, but I didn't use my opportunity as such. Uh, Instead, I found College Station to be very homogenous, full of similar people, and I didn't quite fit the mold. 
I grew very resentful of others around me, always feeling judged and thus further isolating myself. All of my emotional burdens were yet again compounding, and my habits and behaviors only grew worse. I reached a tipping point towards the end of last semester. I grew sick and tired of being sick and tired. I wanted to shed my anxieties, fears, pain, and isolation, but I didn't quite know where to start or how to start. Um, Around this time, I turned around in class and asked a girl whom I knew to be a volunteer at Breakaway, just about Breakaway. Uh, She told me all about it. We went that week, and then she invited me here to Grace. I wasn't sure that I wanted to be at church, but I did know uh, that it felt good to have a friend. Uh, I mean, this girl knew nothing about me other than maybe what she, um, you know, had heard through the grapevine or could possibly infer about me. But she was still so welcoming, and that that was really important at that time in my life. Uh, so I went I went to Grace and continued to go to Grace and break away through the end of last semester. Uh, I believe that the presence of God that I began to feel in my life was frightening to me and a bit overwhelming. And uh, I wasn't prepared to be held accountable for a decade of mistakes. So I ran from God again. Uh, Over the the summer, I moved to Austin to complete an internship. And my substance abuse escalated yet again until I reached another breaking point. Uh, I thought moving back to College Station would be the breath of fresh air I was looking for and that it would help me break away from bad habits and routine. Instead, I found myself taking off to Austin at 11 p.m. the second night I was home because I couldn't shake the urge to go out and use and party. And uh, when I was driving back into College Station at like 6.30, 7 in the morning, I was just absolutely hating my life, uh, feeling the full weight of guilt, shame, and failure. And I I, I just didn't want to live that way anymore. It wasn't fun. I quickly reached out to my friend again and went back to breakaway the next week. And to my surprise, the message was all about washing off the mud, uh, freeing yourself from guilt and shame, no longer fearing that you'll repeat old mistakes uh, because God is good. And he promises grace through faith uh, for hearts that have grown hard and empty to be softened and filled with his love. And that service really broke me down. And um, I hadn't cried in a long time, but I cried twice that night. Uh, and then with a newly opened heart and mind, I went back to Grace that week. And funny enough, the sermon was almost a continuation of Breakaway. It was all about what it may look like to take your first steps in faith if you were new to knowing the Lord. And the messages I was receiving at church and Breakaway were so relevant week to week, I felt like I had no right to deny God's love any longer. And I found myself telling, telling Him that I was His now. Uh, when I relied on myself... I only found guilt, shame, fear, isolation, and anxiety, uh, utter sadness, and a life without purpose. Through dependence on the Lord and the love of His Son, Jesus, I have purpose. I feel loved and accepted and empowered. Um, I've let go of guilts and fears that have followed me for so long. I've learned to truly love and forgive my mother again, and I love her now more than ever. So God has made my life really good. Thank you. Um, you know, I, it's just, it's a story that we can all relate to. It's a story that we've all walked, uh, in, in, you know, our own ways. 
And so I, I would just love to hear just briefly even, so now that you've seen your dependency upon the Lord, now that you've kind of, you've, you've, your identity has changed, right? You've been transformed. And, and I'm sure there's a lot of areas of growth that are still ahead. There's lots of changes that, you know, have yet to take place. We're all, you know, on this journey of, of growing more into the image of Christ. But, but how would you say you've seen, I don't know, change in, in just your perspective on just how you see maybe yourself or your place in the world or other people? Like, how has that shifted just in the last couple months? A, a couple big things. I mean, I'm still new to faith, so I know I have a lot of room to grow. But um, uh, when I tried to set my own moral guidelines, it just, I fell short every time. Uh, I lied, cheated, stole, and self-destructed over and over and over again for almost 10 years. And um, coming to know God, things have just really been put in perspective. Uh, I used to suffer from like extreme social anxieties, uh, walking through campus, I'd have my head down and headphones in and, uh, was just very disassociated from everyone around me. Um, and lately, you know, I find myself walking through campus and I, I see the faces passing and it, just, it dawned on me a couple weeks ago that, uh, you know, we're all alone making our way through a life and lots of things come with a life. You, yeah. Gears, uh, fears, guilt, um, anxiety. You also have good things, goals, hopes, dreams, relationships. Um, you know, a- anything that you could think of, we, we all have those things together. And uh, I realized that, you know, I'm not alone and I don't have to be afraid of just everyone around me. You know? <laughs> so it feels a lot better. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. Um, yeah, because again, I mean, it's just... It's, it's something that I think is so beautiful that God brings to our attention from time to time. That, that we're not alone. That, that we share the same struggles and doubts and concerns and, and, and even failures and mistakes as so many other people all around us. And, and seeing that God's love is still sufficient, seeing that his grace is still there, that his mercy is new every day for all people, everywhere, is just staggering. So... If you would, as we enter into worship, I would love for all of us to just join together, to unify in prayer, to ask that God would really drive this truth deep into our hearts, that, that we are broken in need of a Savior, that those of us who have seen that need and accepted that gift of forgiveness, that, that we still look to that future hope, and that as we look to that hope, we, we see the brokenness around us and we meet people where they are, with the acceptance that God offers. So if you would, please just pray with me. God, we thank you that you've given us this morning, God, a, a moment of clarity to just reflect on who you are and what you've done. God, you've written every story in this room. God, you've laid out paths in front of every person that's sitting here right now. And, and Lord, we just... We thank you that so many of us, our, our paths have taken us already to a place of, of trusting the, the work of Christ. To be sufficient. God, we thank you that you've given us an opportunity not just to accept that for ourselves, but Lord, to, to extend that love and grace to the people around us. So if you would, just take a moment right now. And 
And ask the Lord to really examine your heart. To really bring forth to your mind, to, to maybe convict you of where is it that you are misplacing your confidence in yourself. Where could you be more heavily dependent upon his work and his truth? But, but beyond that, ask the Lord to bring to your mind who can you now step towards with that same love and forgiveness, with that same grace that you've received. Ask the Lord to bring that, that name or that face to your mind that even this week that you can move towards that person offering the acceptance that God has already secured by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Ask the Lord to bring that person to your mind and for his spirit to fill you with the power and motivation to take those steps, to, to initiate, to invite that person into a relationship, at least with yourself, if not yet with the Lord. So ask God to, to move in your heart in that way, to bring those things to your mind. Ask him for that right now.